What's up? Welcome back to Project Freelance. Got a great episode for you guys, especially if you're a cinematographer or you're trying to break into the film industry. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Nick Pilecki. Let's get into it. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Project Freelance. This is a show all about freelancing, whether you are a photographer, a videographer, a musician, an entrepreneur of any kind. If you are a freelancer, welcome to the show. This is Project Freelance. I'm your host, K, just the letter K. You can find my work at justtheletterk.com or on Instagram, just the letter K underscore IMG for image. So this week, I am speaking with Ontario-based cinematographer Nick Pilecki. Super excited to have him on the show this week. We're going to be talking about his journey as a cinematographer, the things he's learned along the way, the challenges he's faced, some of his favorite projects, and so much more in this episode. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Before we get into it, if you guys want to support the podcast, please leave a rating and feedback if you like the show. It helps us grow and helps us find a broader audience of amazing listeners just like you. So yeah, share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your dog, share it with everybody. Thank you guys for listening to Project Freelance. Let's get into it. Nick, welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself and what you do as a freelancer. My name's uh, Nick Pilecki, and I'm from Canada, and I am a freelance cinematographer. I work mainly on commercial projects, but I, I dip into short films and music videos uh, more as passion projects as they come up to feed the creative need. Amazing. So I would love to hear some insights about your journey towards being a cinematographer. Like, how'd you get into the industry? What made you pick up a camera in the first place? Like, j give me some background on you. Yeah, so my story is a little bit, uh, I would say, not typical. I didn't grow up with like a Super 8 camera or a parent who <laughs> got me into cinema. Um, I was a very like music and science minded kid. So my background is actually playing in punk rock bands. And uh, I uh, went through university and actually became an eye doctor after nine years of studying. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, life has many weird twists and turns to get you where you're going to be going. But uh, it led me here. And when I was 28, uh, I picked up my first camera, which was a Canon T2i to film my uh, my band's music videos because I got quoted, I think, four grand for a music video. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not going to pay that. I'll just figure this out myself. Uh, <laughs> and when I picked up the camera, I, I fell in love with it. The shallow depth of field, the way you could tell a story like it was very similar to composing a song and writing music to me, it was just another creative outlet and one lucky opportunity after another and always saying, yes, I know how to do something when I no, had no idea how to do it. I would just research <laughs> it the day before and somehow pull it off uh, have led me to, you know, higher tier commercial work at this point. Wow. I feel like a lot of freelancers can relate to the not knowing how to do something and learning it the day before, you know, watching a YouTube video or picking up a book, you know, and figuring it out. I feel like that leads a lot of people to more work and more diverse work as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm never scared when something comes across my plate that I've never done before. Like, I think nerves are an exciting thing to have. Like, I remember if I'm relating it back to music, like every time I would step on stage, I would have this nervousness of just going out there picking up the guitar turning on my amp like this feeling of imposter syndrome and like you're not a real musician and then once you play the first song you just kind of like get in this groove and you feel like a rock star 
and film to me is very much the same way. Like I'm very nervous going into every single shoot because I'm trying something new. But then once you do your first setup, you're like, oh, okay, like this is just problem solving at its heart and everything is learnable. Like it is not, it's not magic. Like if you see something on the monitor that you're like, oh, I really don't like, you know, how much balance return we're getting here. Like put up a 12 by 12 black, like everything is learnable and there is a feedback mechanism that if you know what you're after and you have a good team, it's attainable. Absolutely, man. And, you know, I, I love the learning as you go, you know, figuring it out as you go, problem solving, like you said, I think that's a big part of, of filmmaking of any type of commercial work is figuring it out as you go and trying to uh, solve those problems as they arise. Uh, can you talk a little bit about thinking on your feet and like being able to, um, pivot and adjust as the shoot continues on. Yeah. So I would say my strongest asset is being able to pivot. I'm not a great pre-pro planner, like, and commercials live largely in a pre-production space where like they want to see your lighting diagrams ahead of time. They want to know all the angles, all the focal lengths. And I input all that stuff into decks so that production companies feel safe. But on the day, if something doesn't feel right, I'm the first person to be like, yo, what if we tried a different lens here? Or what if we, you know, scratch that light, move it this way? Like if something doesn't feel right in my gut, you just got to start pivoting and making new calls until you're happy with what you see. It's a lot similar. Like I, I hate to keep going back to music, but like, you know how to write a song, so you should know how to do it every time, but it doesn't make it easier. Like writing your 50th song is just as hard as your first. Like, you know, the structure of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, but it knowing it still every time you're like, nah, the baseline's just not working. Like we need to, like, you just know in your gut what is sounding right. And when everybody comes together, you're like, yes, that is it. Now, if someone asks you like, why is that the correct, you know, solo or the correct line in the song i don't have a good answer for you it's just intuition and instinct and unfortunately that's almost like the unteachable part in film is like just being like this feels right we should roll and if someone were to ask you it'd be like well i could probably break it down for like why i like this image but ultimately like you don't have enough time on set to describe why something works you just have to be like no this is cool i like this we should roll yeah, absolutely. So for people that don't know, can you talk about like the key responsibilities and like what, what a DP does, what a cinematographer does on a film or TV production? Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, a DP in my eyes is primarily involved in servicing the director's needs for a story. So you're kind of like the visual asset to your director to help serve whatever story that may be. It might be a narrative. It might be selling a product or an idea in a PSA form or a music video, but your job is to work with the director and supply them with what you think will best fit their vision. So the way I tend to work is I'll light up something and I'll present it to my directors and I'll be like, what do you think of this? And then there's this feedback mechanism where they're like, I like this. It's a little bright. It's a little dark. Uh, I'm not sure about, you know, this lamp here. And you're kind of, you're not answering to your director. Like they're your boss. You, they're, they're more like your colleague one notch higher where you're like, I'm, I want to have creative input here, but also I want to make sure it fits what you're trying to do over here. So it's like, 
I, I always think of like a DP and directors being this like hinge on production where the director mm-hmm. works with the higher ups, working with agency, client, like they know what the client's needs are. And the DP is the one working with the camera department, the lighting department, production design. And the two of you are like this hinge point from the higher ups and the people working like DP down in the crew. And you're almost the communicating aspect to make sure that like, hey, everybody's getting what they need on both sides. Definitely. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a great explanation. So for you, like, are you mostly on a team or like on a crew? Have you done projects solo, like where you're doing complete, everything completely yourself? I know a lot of freelancers, myself included, I will take on the brunt of a project and bring on extra people as I need. For example, if I need a second camera operator, I'll bring on a second camera operator. Or if I need a, a gaffer, I'll bring them in. But typically as a freelancer, I'm doing everything. You know, I'm drone pilot, I'm <laughs> cinematographer, DP, director, gaffer, everything, you know? So uh, for you, are you usually working on a team or have you done some solo stuff as well? I mean, at this point, I would say most of my stuff is uh, team-based projects. So we're talking anywhere between six and 20, up to 40 people on a higher budget commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when I started out, yeah, I started out as a one-man band. And I think there's great things to be learned when you are the producer, the director, the editor, the sound guy, the drone pilot, the cam op, the set deck. Like when you know what goes into each part of a frame, it makes you a much better communicator once you get to higher tier or higher budget stuff. When you can communicate with the the production design and be like, hey, can we get some shears here? I'm going to need like a funky lamp in this corner. Like when the budgets go up, it isn't necessarily that you're doing less work. You're just working with people who are more specialized in each of right. those departments. So I used to fly a Phantom 4 back in the day, but that was a great asset to me. Because now when I'm on something and I'm talking to uh, a drone pilot who does that uh, solely as their full-time gig, I can communicate with them and be like, hey, what if we do like a bird's eye view, camera facing, like I I have the tools to get what I'm after because I've been there before. Absolutely. I kind of relate it to uh, acting because I've done a bit of acting in in the past and currently um, starting out on like as an actor, you see everything that goes on behind the camera, you know, and then if you get into like, like PA work, then you can kind of get an idea of what everyone's doing on the crew even further. And then you can kind of work your way up from there. And I think it's a a great asset to have all these different skills. But like you said, like when the budgets are getting bigger, it's, it's almost too much to take on by yourself and you need that team. And so can you talk a little bit more about like, uh, the importance of being a team player and, and working on a team and being able to communicate with people. Uh, it, it's 100% of the job. So uh, at this point, I don't even consider myself an image maker. Like I feel like that's 20% of my day. Most of my job now is being a manager and a team member mm-hmm. that uh, controls departments and oversees camera and lighting production, not overseas production design, but I'm heavily involved with them because anything that falls in front of the lens, I look at that visually as my department. On some sets, you'll get told like, Hey, you know, don't worry about production design. That's not your decision. And, and I'm like, well, it kind of is because it's going in front of my lens. Like, even if I think something looks off with hair or makeup, like I, I feel it's my responsibility to flag it if we have like stray hairs or blotchy skin, because I'm like, you know, part of my department is to look out for the image 
and I have to communicate effectively through other people to make things go quickly if I think you know we're headed down a wrong path or something doesn't look right. So I can't be the one running around changing out wallpaper or fixtures. Like you need to have people in place where you can say, hey, we should get a 12 by a bounce up, throw maybe an M40 into it. And I got to go talk to production design. So can I leave this with lighting department? And if you have a good team, you can kind of give them a couple of rough notes, come back and be like, yep, this is within normal limits what we're after. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's essential to to be able to communicate with your team, especially on those bigger those bigger sets, you know? Yeah. And it's not as daunting or as scary. I remember when I was listening right. to watching tutorials or listening to podcasts on bigger setups, it was very mm-hmm. intimidating to hear people talk about the gear and the number mm-hmm. of crew. However, you're on a team and everybody wants to succeed. You're not like you're going to be on a set and a gaffer's like waiting for you to fail and listening (laughs) for you to be like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's talking. Like Mm -hmm. they want to get hired again. Like if it doesn't look good, the gaffer is not like, oh, great. Like they want it. Everybody wants it to turn out good. Nobody wants it to be a flop. So if I go to my gaffer, usually the first thing I'll say is like, I'm thinking this, but like, I'm not a smart person. So you tell me if you have a different way of approaching this. And then it forces them to access their creativity and be like, well, I hear you. But like, if we try it this way, you might get a better output because I know what you're going for. Yeah. And I think, like you said, like everyone's got a common goal in mind. Like everyone's trying to reach this goal of completing a project. And if, if one thing looks bad, it makes everybody look bad. So nobody's like out to get you on set, you know? Um, so I think, you know, people that are nervous or anxious about, you know, approaching their gaffer, or, you know, somebody else on their crew, I think that, you know, just keep that in mind that, that everyone's trying to reach this common goal. So I think that will help a lot. Um, for you, like, can you share some tips or advice for aspiring cinematographers who are looking to break into the industry? Like, uh, what are some some qualities that they should develop to succeed in that field? Uh, for sure. So communication is the first one. Um, I would say set up phone calls all day long with people you want to work with, not even for the hopes of, um, oh, they're going to hire me or I'm going to work with them for sure. But your biggest tool of looking to level up as a cinematographer is communication. You have to effectively say what you're after in your head and conduit it through other people's hands. So like speaking on the phone is the first step. Like if you're nervous to call somebody and talk to that person one-on-one about just their life, probably talking about specific cinematography face-to-face first time you ever meet is going to be a difficult thing. And I, I get it. Talking to people is a very nerve wracking thing but leveling up requires communication. So you have to be very comfortable with talking to strangers, asking for things that, you know, are going to require them to set up big rigs. And it's like a big thing that helped me was uh, travel jobs because you have no choice to rely on the crew that you have a shorthand with. You'll fly into Minnesota and you have a whole new team of people that you've never met before. And you're like, okay, I have like 30 minutes for them to understand what I'm after today. And if I don't uh, communicate that effectively on setup one, we might be derailed the entire shoot. The other piece of advice I'd have that I find most cinematographers not doing is um, learn a little bit about color grading. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to be a colorist, but like pull your footage into resolve every time you shoot and grade up like 10 clips, grade five good ones and five bad ones and be like, why do I like these ones? Why did these five turn out great? 
And then don't just pick out the ones that are like cherry picked to be your favorites. Pick out the ones that you're like, ooh, this did not turn out that good. <laughs> and then analyze why you don't like it. Like, was it a lighting thing? Was it a composition thing? Was it an actor thing? Was it a set dress thing? But start to understand like where your flaws are, because once you understand your flaws, you cannot repeat them again. You can be like, hey, I've been in a small room with white walls before. History has shown that this doesn't turn out good. Can we switch location? Can we get somebody the set deck to throw up some wallpaper? Can we like, you're just like, I've been here before and I've been unsuccessful here. Like, can we try something different? But if you only review the work that you're really happy with, I don't think you're growing as a cinematographer. No one likes to look at their bad images. Like, sure. but I think to grow, you have to, you have to kind of look at the blips too. Hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So how are you staying updated with like the latest advancements in like camera technology as, as a oh. cinematographer? Like, how are you, like, where are you going to find your information on like the newest and best like things to, to use? Uh, I'm, I'm uh, my ACs. I'm super bad for staying up to date with tech. I don't know the names of anything. I don't know any of the new cameras. Like uh -huh. whenever someone brings like a Sony camera on set, I'm like, oh, is this the fx whatever and they're like yeah and i'm like is it good and they're like yeah it's decent and i'm like okay let's get it up and like i'm not a big camera snob so usually i'm picking Amazing. the tools that get me the the shot and the reason why i'm not a camera snob is because on netflix shows they're still using the inspire 2 for the drone shots facts so they have the money to fly an alexa mini with a kawa anamorphic like they have that capability mm -hmm but they're not doing it. So that tells me bang for your buck. If yep. they're not willing to waste the time on stranger things to do that for their <laughs> drone shots, right. why on earth do I have the gall to be like, I need to fly a red Komodo with right. you know, primo lenses up in the air. Like if I can't make an inspired Two look good, then I'm not good. Like, cause if they can do sure. it, like you should be able to do it. And a lot of like smaller car rigs, overhead rigs. I know the proper way to do it. But mm. if you're in a time crunch, smaller camera, cheaper lens will get you a within normal limit, similar result. And I'm a firm believer that if you can do something faster, you'll give your director more takes, which will give you more options in the edit, better performance. Mm. And that perceptibly will make you look like a stronger DP rather than having something that looks great, but fall short in the edit or the overall feeling afterwards to the audience. Wow. Yeah, it's so true. You know, working, doing the things faster with like your capabilities. I think you're right. Like that will give you a lot more opportunity to get the shot that you're, you're going for. So great, absolutely great advice. And, you know, I've seen music videos that are super low budget filmed on the Komodo because the guy had the Komodo. Like why, why? <laughs> like you don't, you don't need to use that here. You know, you're not, you, it's just it's crazy that some people are like doing it to to kind of showboat you know they're like look what i got a little bit i but mean if necessary. you own the camera and you yeah, you want to sure. use the tool go ahead but if you don't have a lot of budget i wouldn't waste a lot of money on exactly. renting a 700 to 1100 a day camera when that money probably could have gone into locations talent right you know, mm -hmm. wardrobe, like there are things that I think should be taken care of first before the fancy camera comes out. Um, yep. Cause if you're filming in your friend's basement, I don't yeah. really care what camera and lens you have. It's going to yeah. look like your friend's basement. 
exactly unless you set set deck or you you know well, light yeah, it but all these, or whatever you know but all these things cost money and time Correct. and uh i just i think part of the job of being a dp is understanding where the budget should be allocated and sometimes it's not always to your department uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely on a lot of my work taken money out of my department and put it into um, locations or set deck because I'm like, this yeah. is going to make my day easier. It's going to make the final product better. Like, I don't like taking money out of my department, of but if that's what needs to happen to make this successful, that's going to be the best play for my career rather than being selfish and only looking out for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's pivot a little bit. I'd love to talk about some of your work that you've done, some of your favorite projects that you've gotten to work on. I obviously took a look at some of your stuff on your website and uh, there's there's some shots that I look at and I'm just like, okay, wait, this this is like out of the box and it's so cool. Like for example, your the Fire Academy training video, that sure. shot where he goes to pick up the ladder and he flips the ladder and the camera's on the ladder. Dude, like that... I had to watch it like five times because I was like, this is amazing. It's just so creative, you know? I'm a I'm a big fan of like fun perspective shots like that. Like yeah. uh, there was also like a Mandarin buffet commercial where the camera's from the perspective of the knife or the spoon going into the food. <laughs> I just so cool. think that those shots are fun. And irregardless of what the image quality is, I think the viewer is like, oh, that was interesting. That was different. Mm-hmm. And in a world where there's so much content out there, if you can at least be different, that gives you an edge in getting hired. Like, because yeah. uh, spoiler alert, that uh, flipping shot in the Fire Academy one was an FX3 with one of their stock lenses. And the other shots were an Aria Mira with black wings. But once you're in the edit, you don't know. You, yeah, like, exactly. You're, you're just like, you're sucked into a world and you're like, this all feels good. Like, I like the vibe. I like the energy. I like the pacing. I mean, we yeah. even, all the FPV stuff in that was GoPro. Right. But at no point are you like, ugh, are they mixing yeah, right? Ari <laughs> with GoPro? You're just kind of like, no, I'm in this world. And yeah. I think as a creative, your job is to create worlds and engage mm-hmm. people. It's not to use the fanciest equipment all the time if that's what you need to create a world great but if you can get it done with something else then i think you've done your job absolutely yeah uh so what are some other projects that you've worked on that stand out to you as some of your favorites oh i mean there's been a couple i mean oddly enough uh there's a canadian medical hall of fame where they gave us free range to like do whatever we wanted with healthcare stuff that was a lot of fun. So there was swooping lights and, you know, whenever the, uh, the budget is probably under 20 K you get a lot of creative freedom to be like, I'm bored. I want to try this. Um, in the higher budget side of things, I did a home Depot commercial where, uh, oddly enough, they gave us a lot of creative freedom and it was just like following a hammer around in this generational story. And I had a ton of fun with that one. Or even like, I never turn my nose up to like clients that like traditionally might be quote unquote uncool because it's always like, I like handicapping myself a bit where it's like, okay, this brand is not traditionally, you know, Nike or Adidas or Porsche, Mm. but if you can make someone be like, Hey, that was a pretty cool uh, food commercial. That was a pretty cool, you know, big box store commercial. Then I I think there's big advantages to that, to working your way up in the commercial market because a lot of projects aren't the aren't the cool thing 
they're they're begging for you to be like, what's your spin on this to take this mm-hmm. average or so-so project and make it your own, make it appealing to an audience? Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, you've got to take their script and and kind of bring your input and your influence into it. Uh, for you, are there any specific cinematographers that have kind of influenced you or guided you along your way? Uh, yeah. So I was never a huge cinephile, so it's not a lot of like, sure. uh, mo- I mean, like Roger Deakins would be someone who I'm like, mm. he's great, but everybody loves Raj. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't know if he's that applicable to the stuff I do. Like probably more attainable people would be like, uh, Ryan Booth, Morgan Cooper, mm-hmm. like people that like were kind of breaking through the Vimeo space as I was learning my stuff and being like, oh, like they're they're shooting amazing stuff with, you know, old vintage lenses, smaller right. camera bodies, the Sigma 18 to 35, like watching people with m- more minimal gear pull off things that looked like higher budget films to me i was more in awe of over the like oh this person has 2018ks and a 40 by 40 i kind of looked at that as like well i don't know how much i can glean from this that's not really the world i'm going to be playing at but these guys over here with four of their friends making what i think is amazing work like yeah. that that is very inspiring to me and that's more the energy i bring on to a lot of my shoots is kind of like we're here to make a good thing let's not get caught up in the limitations. Let's use those limitations to our advantage and figure out, well, we don't have all the lenses in the world. We don't have all the lights in the world, but you know, how can we rewrite this project to, to almost like use those to our advantage rather than looking at them as a hindrance? Yeah, definitely. So there's there's a question I have that can go either way. Some people are like, ah, oh, no, I've never had this situation happen. But I feel like a a lot of freelancers go through this this situation where you know, especially early on, we're more naive or you know, we we just don't have as much education as far as freelancing goes. But have you ever been like, I guess the best way to put it is screwed over, not paid for a job, stiffed on uh, a gig, anything like that. I've never not been uh, not paid for a job. Uh, I would say the biggest thing that I battle is uh, you get an initial email. It's like, we'd like to book you for such and such a date. And usually uh, at my level, you're booked like two to three weeks out from a job. And you're like, great, I got it on the calendar. And then you follow up a week later and then you just get ghosted. Like either Mm -hmm. the project didn't go through, they picked a different DP, dates changed, whatever it may be. But like my biggest pet peeve is like the lack of communication. Like if you go with a different DP or the dates get moved, that's part of the job. I got it. Like you just got to learn to let that like fall off your back. Not a big deal. But when you don't hear back and it's just like a lack of communication, I really do not enjoy that aspect of it it's like the whole job is communication so if you're a producer or someone who's looking to hire me and you won't communicate with me that like hey you can release those dates like you know projects pivoting like we're going in a different direction like that doesn't bug me but when i just don't get told that it it is very annoying yes i completely agree and it it happens to all of us you know i think we all kind of deal with that as as freelancers um for you, like, what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started all of this? That is a great question. I feel like I don't even know that much 
now. Um, <laughs> but uh, let me think on this one for a second. Uh, sure. I wish I knew. Um, when you get hired for a job, you think someone's hiring you for your look and your taste because they'll reference like, uh, hey, we love the firefighting academy job and you'll get hired for like a cream cheese commercial and in your mind you're like oh great they want me to do like the firefighting thing <laughs> for their cream the... cheese commercial sure. and then you get there and they're like so we just want it to look like the references and you're like oh well those references aren't my work so sometimes agencies mm -hmm. and production companies fall in love with your work but they they're not really hiring you for what you do yet it's almost like a test they're like we want you to like fit into our world and then you have to work on them over a couple of shoots to bring them over to your side and that was a weird switch for me because i thought when you get hired someone's like we love what you do just do what you do and that's not always the case <laughs> correct correct yeah i mean that's that's good to know for for people that are dealing with that kind of situation and it's true you know like they they often want you to fit into their mold but like kind of with your style kind of if it like works yeah. And over time, I would say now uh, I've just gotten very strong at turning down jobs that I think are a bad fit creatively because I know mm -hmm. that uh, if something's going to be like pulling teeth to me, I'm not going to do a good job. Like I've said to yeah. productions before, like, hey, I don't think I'm the best fit for this job. And it's not a malicious thing. It's not like, hey, I think I'm above or below this. It's more like... Uh, you know, if you think of film like a musical genre, you can be a great metal shredding guitarist and someone would be like, we got a great country song for you to like come in the studio and play on. And you're like, oh, I don't know that genre. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm more than happy to come try it out. But just a heads up, like, I might not be good at this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, um, for instance, uh, I've tried to do uh, like fashion and beauty a couple times and I just don't have a knack for it. It's just not my genre of film genre space. Like. I can't do it like every single time they're like, just make it brighter. And I'm like, I can't go any brighter. Like this is hurting me. Like I can't do it. Like, and so you just learn to kind of like turn down gigs or vocalize to production be like, Hey, I'm totally up for shooting for this brand. Just so you know, like I would want the image to kind of sit with what I have on my website. So mm -hmm. I just want to get that out of the way before we take on this venture together. Definitely, definitely. So do you have any uh, exciting projects or collaborations that are coming up in the future that you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of feature films in the in the queue looking for early 2024, late 2023 that are looking promising. So I don't want to say too much because every time I talk about a project, it usually jinxes it and it never ends up going through. Um, but uh, otherwise in the commercial world, uh, yeah, there are a couple, you know, larger grocery store commercials coming up at the end of the month, which, nice. you know, it doesn't sound cool, but I like commercials. I like the challenges sure. that come with them. I like the fact that like brands will have hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what is effectively a simple idea. And you're like, okay, so how do I put my spin on this? How do I get my voice through like i think everyone thinks that commercials are an easy you know payday but it's you know there are a lot of restrictions whether you're playing within the the client's needs or the agency's needs and if you can get something that you're proud of and get something that the uh client's proud of like that's a huge win when you can come together and it's a great way of forming relationships to build a career out of 
Absolutely. So thank you for coming on Project Freelance. I had a great time talking to you today. If people want to keep following your journey, your work, or potentially hire you, please let them know where they can go to do that. Uh, I'd say Instagram's good. Uh, Nick Pilecki is the handle. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best. Or my website, nickpilecki.com. I'm not really that good at social media. <laughs> but uh, I would say those are probably the two best places to go to. Excellent. Thank you so much, man. No problem. Thanks for chatting. So I hope you guys liked that episode with Nick Pilecki. If you want to check out his work, I've put his links down in the description of this episode. Go check out his work. He's absolutely amazingly talented. I loved checking out his stuff before jumping into this podcast with him. Uh, he's just so freaking talented and I don't want to like, dick ride you know but i think the guy's super talented i think he's great at what he does and i can't wait to continue following him and see what he does in the future and maybe in a year we'll do another one of these and we will see where he's at see what he's up to see what projects he's worked on we also got to chat a little bit off the podcast and you know we definitely have a lot in common as freelancers i feel like most freelancers have a lot in common as far as like the struggles we face the the things that we deal with on a weekly basis, uh, last minute bookings being like he said in the podcast, being ghosted by people, people not hitting him up, uh, after they reach out to him about updates and things. I think we can all relate to that, but if you like this episode of project freelance, please do me a huge favor and leave a rating and feedback on the show. Like I said, at the beginning of this show, it helps us find a broader audience of listeners just like you that enjoy freelancing and want to better themselves as freelancers. All right, guys, my name's Kay, just the letter K. I will talk to you guys next time on Project Freelance.